you. Well, as Dave uh, has already mentioned, my name's Owen, uh, and I have the privilege of leading the launch team here at Foundation Church. Uh, I'm married to Jenny, who's just here in the pink jumper, and we have four young children, 10 and under, and we've got Reuben, Sophia, Elspeth, and Simeon, and uh, they're a lot of fun. <laughs> they are a lot of fun. For those of you who know them, you will uh, bear witness to that fact. Uh, but it, one thing is safe to say, it's never quiet in our house. Uh, and if it is, it generally means troubles brewing somewhere, and it won't be quiet for long. Uh, but good, I just want to add my welcome to Dave's. Uh, it's so good to have you with us this afternoon. Uh, there's many familiar faces, people who are here week in, week out over the past months as we've begun to gather uh, and then some others who I've never met before uh, or have just met at the start of this afternoon. And it's so good to have you guys with us. I want to take a little bit of time this afternoon to talk to you about names or specifically our name, Foundation Church. Now, this won't be a, a traditional preach. It might be a little bit different to what we do on our average Sunday for those of you who've been with us regularly. Uh, but we are going to open the Bible together, uh, and I want to spend some time, as I say, looking at our name, Foundation Church, and just looking at why we would choose that name. Some of you might have been to other churches in the past. You might be used to churches having perhaps more traditional sounding names like Christchurch, or St. Andrews, or St. Paul's, or some other such slightly more traditional sounding name, and you think, Foundation Church. That's a weird name for a church. Well, hopefully by the end of this afternoon, you'll be enlightened as to why we've done that. So just as we get into this, though, I will, as I say, I will be reading from the Bible. The verses uh, I'm going to read out will come up on the screen behind me. But if you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to open it and read it from there. Just don't take my word for it that what I'm sticking on the screen is actually what the Bible has to say. Check it out for yourself. It's always good to do that. I could say anything. I could put anything up there. It's always good to check it out for yourself. If you don't have a Bible, uh, then there are some on the table at the back. Please do feel free to jump up and grab yourself one. Um, if you don't have one at all, then please keep that as a gift from us to you. Uh, we'd love to bless you with that this afternoon. Now, names. Naming anything is significant, isn't it? We choose names for all kinds of reasons. But generally, when we choose names, we choose them carefully and thoughtfully. My guess is that if you've got children, and I know many of you do, that you took some time over choosing their names. Perhaps you drew up a list of potentials and you debated it between yourselves as a couple. Kind of, which one are we going to go with? And maybe one of you felt more strongly over one than another you quite possibly checked what some of the names meant before committing to it. And that may have either strengthened your resolve to go with that name or put you off entirely. Perhaps there were some names for you that were a no-go before you even got started because you associated them with a particular person you know. <laughs> Now, my wife Jenny used to work as a primary school teacher, and when we came to naming our children, there were some names that were off the list before we even got started because of certain challenging children in Jenny's class at school. <laughs> Sometimes 
names even make the headlines. Like when a new member of the royal family is born, for instance. Sometimes parents make very unusual choices with names. I looked at some this week, and some of the more bizarre ones I found were this uh, young lady who's going to appear on the screen now. Uh, Now, her name, believe it or not, is Sincerely Yours 98. That's her name, the name her parents gave her on birth. And you might think that's bad, but I think her older siblings possibly got it worse because their names were Spaghetti 88 and Macaroni 85. Very bizarre. Or how about a gentleman whose name, real name, actually I found quite a few of these online, but one in particular called Stan Still. Think, stand still? What were your parents thinking? Well, Stan, the 76-year-old retired RAF airman, said that living with his name had been quite a test of his patience. (laughs) Saying, when I was in the RAF, my commanding officer used to shout, stand still, get a move on, and then roll about laughing on the floor. It got quite tiresome after a while. (laughs) And sometimes people get married and end up with a name that has amusing results. We have a good friend called Sarah who trained as a GP, married a lovely young man called Steve, and ended up being called Dr. Payne, which I think when you're in the waiting room... (laughs) (laughs) is probably slightly ominous. Dr. Payne will see you now. Oh, dear. (laughs) But it's not just the naming of people that causes us to think hard and choose carefully, is it? Of course, talking about Foundation Church, we're not naming a person, but a group of people, a community. Well, choosing names for things is challenging, too. Some of you probably remember this from the news, but a couple of years ago, the National Environmental Research Council ran an online competition for the naming of a new research vessel that they were building. Anyone could suggest a name on their website. Anyone could suggest any name they fancied on the website. And then anyone else could go on and vote for the name they thought best suited this large red research vessel. And the wisdom of the great British public decided that this research vessel ought to be called Boaty McBoatface. (laughs) Now, the National Research Council actually, (laughs) spoil sports, decided that as humorous as it may be to call an Arctic research vessel Boaty McBoatface that given the serious nature of the work that was going to be undertaken by this ship, it ought to have a slightly more meaningful and serious name. And so they opted for the Sir David Attenborough. They wanted a name that would reflect something of the nature and importance of the work that was going to be undertaken by this ship. In some cultures now, still today, and most certainly historically, names were of huge, huge significance. 
names were there to tell you something about the person. (laughs) In the Bible, on many occasions, we find names of individuals that were given to say something about that person. Again, some of those were very serious and meaningful. And some of them are actually slightly funnier. Esau, for instance, whose name meant Harry. And he was. Or Delilah, who, if you know anything of the story, her name meant Temptress. And she was. Or Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob whose name meant, behold, a son. And he was. (laughs) But sometimes we also find in the Bible that God changed people's names in order to help them understand something of who he'd called them to be and what he had called them to do. And so however we look at it, we can't avoid it. Names are significant. Names are important. Names mean something. They're not everything, but they're certainly something. So when it came to choosing a name for Foundation Church, we wanted to choose a name that would say something about who we are, why we're here, what this church community is all about. Foundation is a statement of intent about the type of church that we want to be. It's not just a a slightly quirky, more modern-sounding name. (laughs) It maybe isn't even that. It's about the type of church that we're longing to see established here in Wokingham. And I want to tell you a story from the Bible to help you understand why. And it's from Luke chapter 6. Verse 47 to 49. See, one day when Jesus was speaking to a group of people, and the occasions recorded for us in Luke chapter 6, he said this, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck the house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and the destruction was complete. We all face storms in life, don't we? It doesn't always go as we think it should or as we hope it might. Well, Jesus said, everyone who hears his words and puts them into practice is like a person who builds their house on a solid, firm foundation. They won't be overcome by the storms of life. We all, that, we all want that, don't we? I'm sure. I'm sure you want that for yourself. An unshakable life. 
a steadfast life, a, a solidity to you. And the foundation you invest in and build on makes all the difference to the durability of what you build. That's true in the natural, like the man building his house on a firm foundation. And it's true spiritually too. Another illustration just on foundations. Standing more than 2,000 feet high, the Shanghai Tower pictured there, is the second tallest building in the world. It's big. It's really big. (laughs) But unfortunately, Shanghai is located in an area of a lot of seismic activity. They get a lot of earthquakes. It's unstable. In fact, the place where this is built, the earth underneath is predominantly composed of soft clay, heavy soil. It's not great stuff to build on, particularly if you're going to get lots of earthquakes. So to help make it more earthquake-proof as a building, engineers invested heavily in the foundations. They sunk 980 piles, some of which were 300 feet deep into the ground Secured with 2.15 million cubic feet of reinforced concrete. That's a lot, (laughs) by the way. That's an awful lot. They invested hugely when it came to foundations because they knew that this building would be shaken. And they wanted it to stand. And the same is true of our lives. The quality of our foundations makes all the difference to the durability of our lives. So you can try building on all kinds of things, and people do. Maybe you've tried building your life on the foundation of financial stability. Many people try to build on that foundation. Many people in our country relied heavily on that foundation. And not so many years ago with the financial crisis, realized it maybe wasn't such a good, such a reliable foundation. People try building on the foundation of having a fulfilling career or having the right life partner. Sometimes people try building on the foundation of impeccable moral performance, of being a good person, of being well-respected, well-liked, well-thought-of. That's their anchor, their foundation. But all of these things ultimately, in one way or another, fail and falter and crumble. They don't endure. But Jesus came and said, anyone who hears my teaching and puts it into practice is like someone who builds on a very, very stable foundation. 
Jesus Christ came and declared himself and his teaching to be the answer. So what was his teaching? What was Jesus' teaching? If obeying his teaching will give us this durable, lasting, solid life that we long for, what was it? I mean, it sounds like he was a great moral teacher who gave us some really good principles to live by so we'd make good decisions. So how could we summarize these teachings? Well, do you know what? Lots and lots of people view Jesus just like that, as a good moral teacher who gave us some some good principles to live by. And that's how they view him. But actually, I want to tell you this afternoon that Jesus was not just a great moral teacher with a feel-good message. And actually... He never claimed to be. In fact, a lot of what Jesus taught was quite confrontational. And to many of us, quite unpalatable. Not very comfortable. Jesus said lots of things that many of us wish he didn't, actually. He said things like this in Matthew sixteen twenty four: Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Think, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> deny myself. It's not a very, like, cool message. <laughs> See, we live in a society that tells us that we need to, like, fulfill ourselves and be the most us we can be to be our truest selves. You, you be you. You be the truest you You can be. You be the best expression of yourself. And Jesus said, whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Jesus also said this in Matthew 5, 11. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, not because you're an idiot and you're rude and obnoxious. Okay, just he didn't say that. He said, because of me. He said, if people insult you, if people reject you, if people say evil things against you, if they oppose you because you follow me and because you obey my commands and because you live in order to please me rather than to please people, then you're blessed. But we don't really like that message very much. We don't like the thought of being opposed or rejected or people saying unkind things about us. And more confrontational, more unpalatable than any of those kinds of things that Jesus said, Jesus claimed he was God. Now, that's quite a big claim to make, isn't it? If I stood here (laughs) and claimed to be God, you would rightly think, that guy is off his rocker. He's deluded. He's mad. He's insane. Of course he isn't. But Jesus 
claimed to be God. He said that he'd come to seek and save the lost. That he'd come to restore people into right relationship with God. To make it possible for people to experience and enjoy relationship with God. He said that he'd come that people might have life. And life in all its fullness, not just for now, not just for these 70, 80, 90 years, but for all eternity in the presence of God. What Jesus taught and what he claimed about himself was pretty full on and actually pretty hard to swallow. So much so that Jesus' teaching and his claims to be God can only leave us with a couple of options in how we view Jesus and how we respond to him. And calling Jesus a good moral teacher isn't on the list. (laughs) You see, if someone said the things that Jesus said, if someone claimed to be divine, then calling them a good moral teacher is not really acceptable. See, either Jesus was deluded, he was a madman who really needs our pity and probably should have been locked up in the same way that I would if I stood here and claimed to be God. Or he was a bad man. He was deceptive. He was lying. He was having people on pulling the wool over people's eyes 2,000 years ago and for the last 2,000 years, saying he was something he wasn't. And actually, he deserves rejecting. Or, Jesus really was who he said he was. He was divine. If Jesus' claim to be God isn't true, then we can dismiss him as either a lunatic, a madman, or the worst liar to walk the face of the earth. But if what he said is true, if what he said is true, then you can't ignore him or what he had to say. And at Foundation Church, we believe that what Jesus said is true. What God has said in his word is true, and we take it seriously. We don't believe that Jesus was a deluded lunatic to be pitied. Neither do we believe he was a sinister liar who we should reject. Instead, we believe he really was the Son of God to be worshipped and obeyed. And a little later in the Bible, in a letter written by a first century century Christian leader called Peter, he wrote these words, and he, he quoted from the book of Isaiah, words written hundreds of years before Jesus came and walked the face of the earth. Peter wrote this. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And in the passage in Isaiah, actually, if you look at it, it says there as well, 
a foundation. And the one who trusts in him, that's Jesus, will never be put to shame. I'm going to read that again. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone or foundation, and the one who trusts in him, Jesus, will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. What Peter wanted his first readers to understand and what we need to understand today is that how we respond to Jesus is everything. How we respond to Jesus is everything. See, either you put your trust in him. And Peter says, as you trust in him to save you, as you trust in him to rescue you, as you trust in him to forgive you of your sin and to make you new, and as you walk in obedience to him, he becomes your savior and the foundation of your life, a firm and solid foundation, or you trip over him because you simply can't accept his message. And every single one of you today falls into one of those two categories. See, the Bible doesn't allow us a middle ground. There is no third column for someone who just thinks Jesus was a nice guy and and I try to live a moral life similarly to the way he taught. (laughs) There is no middle ground. Either you accept him, all that he was and all that he said, and you find life and freedom and hope in him for now and all eternity, or you reject him and you trip over. As a church family at Foundation, we want to pay close attention to his teachings. Because we believe that Jesus is our only true firm foundation. We want to pay attention to his teachings about how we're to live and how we flourish in the world that he created so that we would be people whose lives are built on a firm and solid and durable, lasting foundation. And so much of what we give our time to looking at and understanding as a church is precisely that. So most of the time when we gather on a Sunday, we give a large portion of our meeting to opening the Bible and trying to understand what it says and how it applies to our lives today. And if you're just visiting today, we really encourage you to come back. We'd love to see you again as we do that. We'd love to encourage you to come back and to find out more about this true foundation. Over the next few weeks, just to give you a heads up, we're going to be looking through the the book of John in the Bible at seven things that Jesus said about himself and how those 
Seven things make all the difference. Jesus made some claims about himself. These I am statements. He said things like this. I am the bread of life. And you think, wow, that's kind of cryptic. What do you mean by that? Well, we're going to spend some time in the next weeks looking at that. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said these things about himself, and we're going to spend time digging into them and trying to unpack and understand what he meant by them and how those apply to us. See, we believe that the only true firm foundation that we can and should build our lives on is the foundation of Jesus Christ, the foundation of his life and death and resurrection and the implications of that for us today. Jesus is the one who won't ever fail or let you down. He's perfect in all his ways. And so our name, Foundation, is there to serve as a reminder for us of who our Savior is and what he's done for us. It's to remind us of the hope that we have in Jesus. That those who hear and obey him are like people whose lives are built on a firm foundation, on a solid rock. That when the storm comes, we have an anchor, we have a hope that will last and endure. But it's also a statement of intent that we want to help other people find that hope in Jesus. And so I'm going to finish now and we're going to come back to singing in just a moment. But I want to just conclude with this, saying if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or maybe you're new to all of this, and you think, do you know, I I want (laughs) an unshakable life. I, I want that solidity. I want that steadfastness for myself. I want to experience that. I want to know what that's like. Then I'd love to encourage you to, yeah, come back on a Sunday. We'd love to see you again. But I'd also want to encourage you to sign up for something called an Alpha course. And the Alpha course is, is a, it's like a 10-week course looking at the claims of Jesus, looking at the Christian faith, examining it, exploring it, questioning it, wrestling through it. And there's space for you to ask questions. There's space for you to, to think about it and to engage in discussion and see what you make of this for yourself. See, I want to encourage you to do that because I think it's the most important thing you could ever do. And I hope you'd understand why. Because, you see, if you look at the teachings of Jesus and the options that you've got, then surely taking time to examine whether he was a lunatic or whether he was a liar or whether he really was who he said he was is the most important thing you could ever do with your time. So if you conclude he was a lunatic or a liar having come on the Alpha course, well, then at least you'll have come and had some good cake and a nice drink, right? We're going to be hosting it in the Oakwood Cafe just behind us over there. It starts next Wednesday, 7.45pm, the 29th of January. We'd love to have you there. 
at the very least, it's got to be worth looking into, right? There's leaflets on your chairs and on the table at the back. I'd encourage you to take one. But if you would call yourself a Christian, and you're thinking, I might come back. Or maybe you're really happy where you are, and you just come to be with us for the day and celebrate. We're really glad you're here. I want to conclude by encouraging you to do something. I want to conclude by encouraging you to pick this up, your Bible, and to read it regularly, consistently. Devote yourself to, to seeking to understand it and apply it in your life. See, what did Jesus say? We read right at the start in Luke 6. He said, those who hear my words and obey them, put them into practice. I like people who build their lives on a firm foundation. We put our trust in him to save us. But doing that and then ignoring him and ignoring his word is crazy, isn't it? If you're a Christian, please, please don't ignore this. You will end up weak and anemic and ill-equipped. Your foundations won't be what they should be. God's given us his word for purpose, to equip us, to build us up, to train us in righteousness, to teach us what it means to live with him, to enjoy relationship with him now and for eternity. Don't ignore it. Pick it up. Read it. Live by it. Yeah?